It's awesome. And this, this is only half of them. You know, they switch every week. But uh, guys in the booth, I mean, it just keeps things going so well. Uh, the, the Sunday I was gone and listened online, I said, man, that's good. That's just good. So uh, what a blessing that God has provided these people who are constantly sacrificing their time uh, to give us their gifts, their abilities, their talents. We appreciate it. Ecclesiastes this morning, we continue our series uh, in that book. We're at verse 15 of chapter 7. Lord willing, we'll go th through the end of that chapter this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Let me read God's word for us, beginning at verse 15. If I've seen anything during my lifetime of futility, there's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in wickedness. Do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It's good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there's not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and never sins. And do not take seriously all words which are spoken, so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and an explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. And I discovered more bitter than the death the woman whose heart is snares and net, whose hands are changed. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Behold, I've discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I am still seeking but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, but I've not found a woman among all these. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. Easy passage, right? You know, you read a passage like that, and you, at times you think... What on earth? You know, what's, what's here? What, what's God saying? It seems somewhat complicated, but I'm not sure it's, it's as complicated as we, we want to make it. Uh, it reminded me of my um, report cards when I was in elementary school. Uh, the, uh, the report I feared the most on my report card was not an F, it was not a D, it was not a C, B, or A. That, back in those days, I don't think uh, our culture allows this anymore, but you could rate a ch child on your feelings as a teacher, how good they were doing. And there was a rating that a teacher could check that says, does not live up to potential, or does not apply himself. And I, I could not get that. Because I was raised with the Protestant work ethic. That it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter your abilities. You applied them. And you worked hard. 
It was necessary. It was required regardless of your grade. And so you could not get that. That you just didn't apply yourself. You had gifts. You had abilities. You had common sense. But you just didn't apply yourself. I thought about that as I was thinking of this passage for some reason. And thinking about, you know, what what kind of report would God use when we get to heaven? Wouldn't that be terrible? To get to heaven and God said, I gave you all the gifts, all the abilities, all the wisdom you need, but you just didn't apply yourself. What were you thinking? And that's some of what's going on in this passage, that God gives us what we need, but sometimes we just don't think about what he's given us and where we should take it and what we should do. Uh, God wants us to apply the wisdom that he has given us. God gives us all the help we need. And I think in this passage we see he gives us what we need to have right balance. He gives us what we need to have right belief. And he gives us real blessing. And I want you to see those three things in this passage to help you kind of glue it together. First of all, right balance. He presents an illustration that really bothers us. So it kind of pulls us in. It's a hook that grabs us when he, when he says there in verse 15, I've seen during my lifetime, this, this is futile, it's, it, it seems vain. A righteous man perishes in his righteousness, a wicked man prolongs his life. It's like, that, that shouldn't happen. We've been raised with the mindset that righteous people get more. Unrighteous people get less. And now he's given us an illustration where it's the complete opposite of that. That the righteous person dies prematurely. It's like, that's not supposed to happen. And the unrighteous person lives longer. And we say, that's not supposed to happen either. Early on in, in my ministry, I did two funerals fairly close together that drove this home for me. One funeral was a five-year-old girl who had brain cancer. And the cancer was right in the front of her brain, and so eventually she went blind. And I remember visiting her, and so she can't read now at this point. The tumor's growing right there over her eyes. And she had a Bible, and she would just open the Bible as you talked to her. And she would turn a page, and she'd put her hand on it. And she'd turn another page, and she'd put her hand on it. And she would go literally through the entire Bible. I said, what are you doing? She said, I want to know the words of Jesus. I just want to know my Savior. Five years old. And she died. And I thought, as you would reach somebody at that age, you say, there's no one more precious. There's no one more righteous. Why, God, are you taking her off this planet? We need people like her. And then just across the street, maybe a little down the road, another man who lived to 90. And I never visited him or talked with him where he wasn't cursing God. Using vulgar speech, always complaining. And I did his funeral. And I thought, God, we don't need people like this. I'm glad he's gone now. The, the world doesn't need this one. The world does need this other. But it seems 
God, you got it wrong. It's a flip-flop. What's with that? How is that supposed to be wise and smart? So as you wrestle with that, and I think that's why God gives it to us. I want you to wrestle with these things. I want you to understand them. I want you to see the importance of both righteousness and the unimportance or what happens to foolishness. So God gives us some insight. Let me give you a little insight on the righteousness thing. Look at Isaiah 55, excuse me, 57, Isaiah 57. The first couple of verses, Isaiah 57. It says, the righteous man perishes. See, that's what we've been talking about. The righteous man perishes, and no man takes it to heart. And devout men are taken away, and no one understands. For the righteous man, this is the answer, the righteous man is taken away from evil. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds, each one who walked in his upright way. God is saying, sometimes they take the righteous out early. He says, why is it nobody gives that any thought? What I'm doing when I take the righteous person out early is I'm sparing them from evil and I'm giving them peace. God knows what we need. And there are times when we say, I don't understand. We think we need to be here. And God says, no, you don't. The evil is down the road for you. I'm going to take you out of here right now and I'm going to spare you of evil and let you enter into peace. So sometimes when we think it's just wrong, God's got a better plan. Let me show you the other side. Look at Proverbs chapter, uh, excuse me, Psalm uh, 73, verse 16. Psalm 73, verse 16. God's word. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived therein. Now, the there I didn't talk about because we just don't have the time to go through all of this psalm. But the psalmist is saying, it really bothers me that the wicked people seem to be having so much fun and living so long. And he says, it really bothered me until I got to church. And then when I got to church, it was revealed what happens to wicked people, unrighteous people. And he goes on, he says, so that changed everything for me when I got there and I saw what God was doing. Verse 18, surely you have set them, the unrighteous, in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They're utterly swept away by sudden terrors, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When aroused, you will despise their form. I think it's a powerful statement that God who created their form says at their death, literally, I hate I even made you. I despise who you are, what you look like, what you've done as he cast them into the pits of hell, a place of destruction. We know that this is not all there is. That's what's coming. And so the unrighteous many times 
want to stop and sing the song, Only the Good Die Young, not realizing they are sliding down this slide of happiness into misery and utter eternal destruction. The righteous mourn and we pray and we realize, but God's going to spare us from evil. And he's going to let us enter in to peace. There's balance there that lots of times the world misses. And God wants to, to, to wake us up and let us recognize that. So as we, as we do that, he, he begins to unpack this comparison a little bit further in Ecclesiastes 7. Um, and it seems a little complicated, but not so much really. Telling us, don't be too righteous, don't be too wicked. In verses 16, 17, and 18. Um, verse 16, don't be excessively righteous, don't be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Now, as, as we take a little moment to say, what in the world is he talking about there? There's an obvious that you can't be too righteous. You can't be too good. So what's he talking about? And, you know, as you think about um, there's, there's none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3. So how can we be too righteous if we're not righteous? How, how could we be too understanding? How could we be too compassionate? How could we be too knowing of God? How could we honor God too much? How could we make His name known too widely? We're commanded to love Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We can't possibly do that too much. So that's not where He's going. He's taking us to this, this realm of excessive righteousness. I like that word more and more and more. It confuses us because it's not maybe our culture. But by excess, he means there's a standard. Don't exceed the standard. That's excessive righteousness. Righteousness is the law of God. Law of God. It's Christ. He's the standard. You can't exceed Christ. You can't exceed His law because His law is perfect in righteousness. He is perfect in righteousness. Exceeding that is just as bad as foolishly not keeping it. So you have the legalist who adds to the law of God. You have the libertine who takes away from the law of God. He doesn't use those words. Those are our words, but we're all convinced. And that's why I'm thinking maybe God used the word excessive or overly because we need to hear this. If I say you're legalist, everyone in the room says, no, uh -uh, that's not me. I'm not a legalist. If I say you're a libertine, everybody in the room says, no, no, that's not me. But if I say... You're excessive at times, or you're overly at times. Oh, maybe, maybe. And God, I think, is drawing us in to think through this a little bit more because we have this tendency to want to add to, and we have this tendency to want to take away from righteousness, God's law, and God's standard. 
And that's where it begins to apply to us and not just this righteous man who dies soon or the unrighteous that lives long. What's, what does it mean for us? What's, what's the righteous example? Look at Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14. Here's an example for us. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus given a parable and he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And he viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We know the story. Do we see that many times we're comparing ourselves to others? Lord, so thankful I got it together. And they, you know, they don't, but I do. So thankful that I have um, put the rules in place that I'm handling this pandemic. Others aren't. So thankful that I've got what I've got saved and reserved and it helps me in time of trouble and others haven't even thought about it. And it's so easy for us to say, I'm more righteous than others because of things I have done, things I have put into place. God said, don't go there. Don't be overly righteous. Don't be that excessive one. Um, he's going to get to verse 17, the, the wicked side as well. Um, but just, just thinking through the righteous side, maybe we should go ahead and get there, but the, the righteous side, you remember the Proverbs that what comes before destruction? Pride. Pride comes before destruction. A haughty spirit comes before it falls apart. So many times we're out of balance because of the way we are thinking about ourselves and how we have got it together. Well, let's look at the foolish person before I, we kind of uh, sum it up. Uh, the foolish person here, verse 17, don't be excessively wicked. See, it's the same language. Don't be overly wicked and, and, and do not be a fool. In other words, don't you see where that's going to lead you? To destruction. Why should you die? It's going to kill you to be overly foolish. Um, the overly foolish is the one who says, I don't need the righteous standard. I can drop below it. God doesn't kill me. I haven't seen God come get me yet. I'm having fun. I'm doing what I want to do. 
Whereas the overly righteous says literally the same thing. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm doing it my way and it's better. And then there's the ones I'm doing it my way and it's better and it's lower than the standard. Whereas the standard is the standard. God says don't go either directions. That's foolish. That's destructive. Um, so that verse 17, basically, don't get to the place where you tolerate sin. The overly righteous is saying, oh, I, I don't tolerate sin. I've made rules to stay away from sin. He says, well, sometimes when you make those rules, you get so careless, you do embrace sin. And so he gives us the, the overly foolish person who is a excessively liberal person. Let me, let me give you a passage that brings it home. Look at 1 Corinthians 11. It's all about the Lord's Supper. I don't read this every time because we take the Lord's Supper every week. And every week's important, but we need to remember to be careful with God, His Word, His sacraments. And 1 Corinthians 11 uh, tells us why. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 32 says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. A man must examine himself, and so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. God's given us an illustration. Some people die taking the Lord's Supper. Some people get sick. Some people get COVID because they took the Lord's Supper. He says the reason they get this sickness or the reason they die is because they didn't think. They didn't evaluate themselves. They didn't examine themselves. They didn't think about their own relationship to Christ and their relationship to sin. He says you didn't take it worthily. What is a worthy participant of the Lord's Supper? I think what he's saying here is a worthy participant of the Lord's Supper is someone who understands they are unworthy of Christ and his mercy. And so we come to Christ like that publican and says, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. I need Jesus. I don't need to in any way be casual with sin. I can't play with this sin and do this sin and think it doesn't matter to God. God is in the room. And if I take this meal that represents Christ being very serious with sin, dying in our place for our sin, and I treat that casually, God says, I take note of that. Because God says, I don't play with sin. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we must always examine ourselves. Are we taking it as that sinner that says, Lord, I need you because I am often going astray and I need to come back. I need to quit playing with sin. I need to realize it was serious enough for Christ's death. It would be foolish to treat sin any other way. Back in Ecclesiastes 7, that's what some people do. They say, it doesn't seem to kill me. I don't seem to get sick. Don't seem to be bothered by it. Contrary to everything 1 Corinthians 11 just said. No, some people do die. Some people do get sick. Some people are very bothered by it. We cannot treat sin casually. We must 
stay away from it. A little sin is never okay. God wants us to avoid both extremes. Sinning going in excess above his law. Sinning going casually, maybe just a little bit below his law. It says, I don't want you going either place. Verse 18 uh, says, it's good that you grasp this one thing and not let go of the other. I think what he's saying there, because he explains it, for the one who fears God. The one who stays with God, the one who reveres God, His Word, His law, His righteousness, has both of them, has a serious view of sin, not a casual view of sin, and a serious view of God's law, not a casual view of God's law. Now, let me explain, what's the solution for the legalist? A lot of people miss this. The solution for the legalist is God's law. Okay. What's the solution for the libertine? The solution for the libertine is God's law. See, the law's right here. That's the standard. The libertine down here is missing it. The legalist is up here and missing it. We want to add to the law. We want to take away from the law. The solution is to fear God, to revere God, to stay with the standard. Don't think you're smarter and you add to it. Don't think you're freer and you take away from it. It's to stay with God's word. It's, imper- it's perfect. It's infallible. It's inerrant. Stay with God's standard. That will always give you right balance. Give you a couple practical examples right now. Uh, do you wear a mask? Some people say this is the condemnation. Talk about mask for a minute. And then we'll talk about guns, okay? They're both in the same category. Some people say, I wear a mask because it's it's better. It's right. Great. Other people say, I don't wear a mask because it's right and it's better. What have you done? One is added to the law. One, excuse me, is taken away from the law. Nobody said, this is God's law. This is what I do. I've, I've added this. I've taken away this. Same way with guns. I carry a gun. That's better. I don't carry a gun. That's better. What does God's law say? You see, we want to add two. We want to take away instead of staying with the law of God. Now, the problem is not whether you carry a gun or don't carry a gun, whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask. The problem is when you condemn others for not doing your rule or not not doing your rule. You may very much need a mask and you much very much need a gun. And there are others who don't need the mask and don't need the gun. You have that freedom, friends. But we don't have the freedom to add to the law of God or take away from the law of God. That's foolish, God says. Why would you be excessively righteous or underly foolish? That's out of balance. And that out of balance, did you see the the word... uh, Verse 16, why should you ruin yourself with stuff like this? 
I grew up in high society, Greenville, so we would say it's a ruinous situation. Good Southerners just say, you ruined. Why are you ruined? You don't need to be ruined. Why would you do this? And yet we are constantly doing it, aren't we? God says, come back. Come back. God has a lot to say in here about self-defense. Have you read it? On guns? A lot to say. What does the law of God say about guns? God has a lot to say in here about infectious disease. He's given us two full chapters on infectious disease. I'm sure we've all read them and studied them thoroughly, right? Because we're in a time where that's the big issue. Or did we find, oh, David, really, I didn't go and read those chapters again. And I didn't study it. And I didn't ask God for his righteous way. I just did what I wanted. Or I just did what I wanted. And God says, you missed, ba- you missed the ball- right balance. You didn't live according to the word of God. It's so hard in these days to say, I know what's right. I, I mean, how many, we, we all at times say, I know what I know what I know. Great. But what does God's word say? What's the standard? What's righteous? Because you, have, you are running the risk of being excessively righteous or being foolish if you don't know God's word and his standard, where he wants us to go. I think that's where God is saying, fear me, stay with what I've given you. It goes on, verse 19, right belief. What should we believe? Wisdom strengthens a wise man More than ten rulers. Boy, I love that phrase. He says, a man who gets it, gets the Bible, who adds to his wisdom the Word of God, that man is better than a whole committee of politicians. A whole committee of church folks. A whole committee of whoever. Take your ten wisest people, put them on a committee, and then put beside them one man with the word of God and say, this is the one I want. That one who adds to his wisdom the word of God. So sad. This generation, a lot of you were raised and trained without the word of God. It was not in your curriculum. We used to have joint degrees even for our scientists that they had a degree in theology plus their science the word of God was a standard for where they started and moved out from we've lost that standard and that's where he's getting us back to we've got to get to right belief there's a righteous man who um, is more worth more than 10 rulers verse 20 There's not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and never sins. Um, Perfectionists hate that verse, don't they? It just basically says you don't exist if you're a perfectionist. There's there's not a perfectionist. There don't exist. Uh, There's not one who who continually does good and never sins. We all sin. 
Paul picks up on this in Romans. All fall short of the glory of God. There's none that does good. No, not one. Uh, it's right here. Verse 21. Also, do not take seriously all the words which are spoken so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. Um, I have to remember that. It doesn't matter which, which way I choose, you know. I get people who praise me and I get people who condemn me, you know. I say you all should have a gun. Yes! Some people praise me. All should not have a gun. Yes! People praise me. The other side is always cursing me. What's God say? God says, David, get over it. Get over it. Don't let it bother you. You're always going to have both sides. Stay with the law of God. Don't live for the praise of men or the curse. Stay away from the cursing of men. It's basically get over it. You always realize you're always going to have that. Um, verse 23, I tested all this with wisdom, and I said I will be wise, but it's tough. It's far from me. It's, it's, it's a struggle. Our tendency is to miss the mark. You know, what, what is sin? Sin is missing the mark. It's God has a righteous, perfect standard. This is what he wants us to do. And if, if you've ever shot a bow and arrow, you know that there's a bullseye and you shoot your arrow. If you're north, south, east, or west of the bullseye, you've missed the mark. And many times that describes our life. We miss the mark a little to the north, south, east, or west. None of us hit it, the bullseye, every single time. It just doesn't happen. Um, we try, we try, and try, but it doesn't happen. Um, God says you're going to be praised at times for hitting it, cursed at times for missing it. Um, get over it. Parents, you know this, when your kids say, Mom and Dad, you just don't know. What kid's not said that? What parent's not heard it? You just don't know. I'm saying, get over it. They'll figure it out in the next 40 years. And we'll figure out some things. There's times when they want to praise you. There's times when they want to curse you. Who really ever hits the mark all the time? We don't. So what do we need? We, we need to, to understand it, and we need to move forward seeking the standard of God. That's where he wants us to go. Uh, and that's where there's real blessing. Let me just move on to it. Verse um, 23 to 29 he says, I've tested all that. So verse 24 uh, what has been remote and exceedingly mysterious, who can discover? I directed my mind to get there, to investigate, to seek wisdom and an explanation, to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. We've talked about these things and we know them. Verse 26, And I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets. Um, he's just describing someone who's trying to pull you into their way. Somebody who's tempting you and grabbing you justifying their actions to get you off course and off path. And a lot of people are captured by temptation to sin. Um, and we've got to realize there's lots of temptations to sin. Where's wisdom? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. That's what's in the passage, not giving away to these temptations. There's lots of immoral traps. 
And then he, he describes mankind in a very unusual way. And again, our culture would just hate this description. He says, I'm seeking wisdom here, verse 28. And he says, I've not found one man among a thousand. And I didn't even find one woman among a thousand. So a lot of people say, oh, that's a put down of women. Found zero women out of a thousand. Now Solomon actually had over a thousand wives. He had a thousand concubines, so I don't know that I've ever even met a thousand women, but he could literally do the survey. And of his survey, he didn't find one in those thousand concubines. That doesn't mean the survey's complete. In his survey of men, he found one among a thousand. That's not a put down of women over men, that's a put down of both, right? He's putting both men and women down. Nobody seems to get it. One in a thousand, that's not lifting up the male race over the female race at all. That's, that's, not, that's not a good stat. He's just telling us what he found. And what he found is that people aren't seeking wisdom. They're seeking their own devices. And we need to get away from that. We need to discover um, that... God is the one who gives us, and we need Him. Let's go to verse 29. He said, I found, this is what I found. Behold, I found this, only this. God made men upright. So God gives us. God puts us here. God designs us. We need God. There's a lot you can get out of that phrase. God made man upright, but they have sought out many devices. Now think about his conclusion. He says, what I've come up with when I go through this life. We need God. We need to fear God. We need his standard. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. Do you realize you need Jesus? Do you realize how badly you need God? Do you wake up and say, God, I need you. Or I will, I will seek out my own devices today. I will think I know more and I will add to the law. Or I'll think I'm free and I'll take away from the law. I need a standard. I need the God who made me according to a standard. Made me in the image of God. God's the standard. And God made me there. And I want to get closer to the standard. So I'm in need of God's word every day. I'm in need of God's presence in my life every day. I'm in need of God's church. I'm in need of God's spirit moving through the body of Christ. I'm in need of prayer by the saints. I'm in need of the kiss of brotherly fellowship. I'm in need of sanctified people pouring into my life, holding me accountable and giving me direction through God's word. I don't need condemnation. 
I don't need temptation. I'm in need of Christ and his sacraments and his people and his word. That's what I figured out. And I figured out that people run to so many other things and so many devices because they know more because they know less. Let's pray together. Father, we're all like sheep. We've gone astray. Only the light and word of Christ brings us back. Forgive us for turning that off way too soon, way too quickly each day. Father, help us to see how badly we need you. We are the sinner in need of the Savior every day, every moment of our lives. Let us see the beauty of being united to Christ and living for you in a dark place that's running in excess in every direction. For we ask these things, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.